Alright guys, thanks for joining me today. I was thinking about a few of the scenes we're going to be putting in our movie going forward. Oh, I'm so excited. This film is going to be epic. It's going to look amazing. Yeah. I was thinking we start out in an idyllic village, right? Everyone is running around, they're happy, life is good. That's great. Love blossoms. And we want to establish that that's a good shot by having, like, a bear. A, a what? A bear. Like a huge bear? No, like a small little cute bear, I Oh, was oh, perfect. I mean, that sounds pretty cute. Yeah, and I think we just have, like, 45 minutes of it, like, just running down the road, just joyous and... 45 minutes of just... Se the... Seconds. Uh, not minutes. That'd be ridiculous. I'm not going to overuse the bear. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because oh, okay. I mean, I've got to get these shots set up, so. Yeah, yeah. This story's about human characters, right? Yeah, no, the, the humans, they're there. Okay. Uh, anyway, I guess later, we cut to them, like, running through, like, the forest, and there's, a like, a clan of warrior women, and we get a long shot of the bear for a little while, just, like, running through the woods and the flowers. So how does that um, convey, like, the message of the story? You're not listening. You're not. No. Okay. Listen. So I'm getting like the bear is part of the story. Like he's an important character in the story. You, yes. Okay. Yes. So and how do we establish that? Wait a minute. I have a. I have an idea, Jamie. Is the baby bear cute? Finally, someone understands. The bear is cute, and it runs. Oh well, that makes perfect sense now. I get it. So he's really. Bearismatic. Oh, that hurt me. I knew this was the right writing group. <laughs> Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my fighting co-hosts. Hey folks, it's Chelsea Hollowell here, a sun bear, here to steal the show. Well, I think you have accomplished your task then. Oh, great. <laughs> Way to go. I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Uh, you guys finish the podcast and... Uh... I'll go take a nap. Nice. Very bear-like. In the sun. Classic. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, no notes. Yeah, yeah. And me? I'm Jack Olander, a skeleton in the haunted forest that shows up for about 15 seconds out of the 24-hour day, and then the uh, the sunlight makes me disappear. Wow. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Haunted forest is uh, only slightly... Only slightly haunted. Oh, that's good. Phew. Lots of undead, but only for like a couple seconds. So That is actually a huge comfort. Yeah. As well, long as you can just wait out that beam of sunlight that destroys them all, you'll be fine. Yeah, it's sort of like, oh, whoa, and then we're gone. That's most times for me, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just walk in a room and people start freaking out until you leave seconds later. <laughs> Well, guys, before we get started and talk about the movie that we're going to be discussing today, we have a few 
things to talk about and share with the audience. We do have our own notes. We do have our own notes, yes. Personal Um, note. Yes. (laughs) It's a very personal note, actually. I'm not kidding here. The, the, The next thing we're going to say is a very personal note. Listeners of the show may be familiar with our cat, Loki. And unfortunately, Loki passed on from this world last week. It was very hard on the three of us. Yeah. He lived with Chelsea and I for 16 years. He was our best little buddy. And fuck, we miss him so, so much. And it's been a really hard week dealing with that and everything that losing a friend and pet companion means. Yeah. He leaves a big hole when he's gone. I mean, he he was a big cat most of his life, but it's It's a big cat shaped hole in our hearts. It's in our hearts. Yeah. And he will definitely be missed. It's, It's pretty amazing how empty the house felt without a cat-sized <laughs> creature, and yet yeah. somehow the amount of joy he filled the room with, or yeah. the entire building with, was... Immeasurable. Yeah, exponentially larger than himself. You may also be hearing scratching in the background. It just depends on if it still gets picked up after I do all the effects to everything or not. And Chelsea, what is that scratching sound that people might hear in the background? It's a new kitten named Odin because of his one eye that's a little wonky. Which we're hoping will clear up. But Yeah. But he's also gray. Yeah, he's got a gray coat on, so I mean, mm-hmm. it works. Yeah. No matter what. And uh, we're still sad, but he helps fill our lives with joy, and it makes it a little easier. And we also love him No. After only one day. (laughs) Yeah. It does not take much to get us to love a cat. Yeah. It's true. So pictures will be forthcoming uh, on our social accounts. We definitely need to share that. Yeah. We'll see if he has the same microphone presence that Loki had. Oh, and uh, I guess our other note is just that this week we watched Ator, the Fighting Eagle. Um, I believe it's Ator, the Fighting Eagle. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's very difficult to remember that. It's very important. I mean, we don't want him to come and fight us for getting his name Is wrong. Is it Ator or Ator? I, in the movie, I, I... You know what? It's Ator, and I got it wrong too. So, <laughs> so this is going to be great. Tor, Ator, Ameho, Tor. <laughs> so is he a... Tor, like a like a bull, like a like a Taurus. Right. Is he an eagle? Is he a bear man? We don't know. I'm a confused. City tour. Yeah, but I'm- you know what? We're gonna get into it right now <laughs> because I think Chelsea has a review, and by review I mean a summary right. of the movie that she has prepared for all of you that she's gonna share right now. So we've got this spider cult, right? Oh, I love spider cults. And Just another spider cult. <laughs> they've been ruling the land for a thousand years. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. All hail the spider god, Shelob. They are led by the ancient one, a gigantic from- spider. Oh, not the one from Doctor Strange. No, no. Although it could be her 
in human form. Tilda Swinton has an incredible range. I know that. <laughs> Just like Andy Circus. Yeah. Either one of them could have been playing the spider. Yeah, it's true. And uh, Dakar is the high priest of the Ancient One, and he just loves chilling with his tarantula buddies. You know, if it wasn't for Kyogi the Bear, or Kyog the Bear, I think Dakar would be the star of the show. It's true. Or the spiders. I mean, Dakar, he had the cool gold makeup on his face, great costume. Professional wrestling legend, Dakar. Yeah. And he... Didn't even want to deal with this stupid Chosen One prophecy that a tour fills of yeah. taking down the Ancient One. Boring. Let me hang out with my sweet, sweet tarantulas. Yeah, we never saw him actually doing any leading of any armies or anything. He just barked out some orders sometimes so he could get back to playing with his spiders. Can't blame him. Yeah, it's true. But I guess the spider cult... Is kind of mischievous, so that makes sense. They have like hijinks, you know, like abducting people and and um, pillaging villages, you know, hijinks. Yeah, just fun little goofs that they like to pull. Mm-hmm. Nothing a tarantula wouldn't participate in. Yeah, and a tor just doesn't get it. He's not really in on the joke. No, it kind of went over his head. Yeah. That part where they uh, murdered all of his loved ones and ran off with his sister bride totally missed the irony of all of that. Yeah, uh, Sonia, the sister bride, not really sister, just adopted. Kind of cringe. So, um, content warning for <laughs> not incest? Oh my god. Perfect timing. guess. Perfect timing, Jamie. Thanks. Um, I mean, it's not incest, but Ator doesn't know that when he propositions his father to marry his sister. It's true. And then the father's like, oh, I'm so relieved that you guys want to hook up. You're not actually brother and sister. So Ator goes on this quest to defeat the Ancient One, but he all he really wants to do is hit that sister bride. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Not Man, literally, not like hit her, but tap that. No, I think everyone knew what you meant. <laughs> Horrifically, I believe everyone knew what you meant. You looked at me with shock when I said it. <laughs> Along the way, Jack is dying. <laughs> Along the way, he's trained by this warrior named Griba who likes to hang out in caves. Also the one who saved him from uh, his virgin birth ceremony, I guess, where, where Ator was being born after his mother was impregnated with the seed of Torin on the wind. Yeah, as 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 happens normally. Yeah. You know how you know where babies come from. Right. Toron's blessed cummy wind begat the chosen one, the spider kill. <laughs> the spider meme. Some sort of spider man running a kingdom. I just realized that every movie we watched last week was about spiders. So, like we all know, on classic adventures, you're going to have a few side quests before you have your main confrontation. It's so important. And a tour has a few of them. Um,. Let's let's list them here. He gets abducted by Amazons. Oh, sexy. But and they compete over who gets to have 
sex with him. I hate when this happens. <laughs> and the woman that succeeds is named Rune. And uh, he had helped her earlier against guys that she had stolen from. <laughs> I think he kind of just got in her way. And uh, so he told her about his quest to save his loved one. And she let him go and then joined him on his quest because she just wants all that loot. Oh, the sweet, sweet loot. That is Rune's only focus, and I respect her dedication to the classic rogue archetype. That's right. And then there's another side quest where Ator is kind of seduced by this witch named Indune. And uh, I think- Boy, everybody's just trying to hit that sweet, sweet Ator. I know. I think he makes it with her. Uh, makes it <laughs> is she his best girl is he taking her to the spring fling I don't know it's tasteful it happens off screen but there's a lot of filmic language to <laughs> suggest sex in films is tasteful as long as it happens off screen I guess so Ator why did you come into that gust of wind it's a tradition <laughs> yeah she looks Arun makes her look into a mirror and it undoes the spell that is making her look beautiful, and she's actually a hideous um, goo person. Yeah, kind of like, imagine a melted candle. Right. But wetter. <laughs> her- and she's a booger, okay? We <laughs> know what she is. <laughs> fine, fine. She's a booger golem, you're right. Yeah. And um, Griba also shows back up for hot sec, and... Um, Tells Ator that he must go find this, like, mythic mirror shield that has magical powers to help him fight the Ancient One. Wow, what a completely original idea that I've never seen in another fantasy movie. Yeah, something we're not actually going to talk about in a little bit. Um, <laughs> He makes it to the Temple of the Ancient One, and um, he fights three different bosses, and it's actually super easy. I hate when there's too many boss fights crammed in at the end of the game. I know. He's got too many bosses than the main villain all back to back. No saves in between. Oh god, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. So he uh, defeats Dakar by shining the mirror shield onto him which makes him explode. That sounds right to me. I'm a doctor and uh, I think that's how it works. Uh, he defeats the dun-dun-dun betrayer, Griba, who uh, reveals that he just wanted to take over Dakar's job. Who would have ever thought that a man with that facial hair would be evil? I know. It's a travesty. And then he defeats the... Uh, oh, so he defeats him by getting him caught up in the spider's web. And he defeats the ancient one by shining the mirror shield on it. Well, consistency, I'll give him that much. And I think it explodes or lights on fire. Oh, well, he blinds it with the mirror shield. Uh, A clever tactic. And then he uses the ancient art of stabbing it repeatedly until it (laughs) stops moving. Ah, a tradition passed down from his forefathers. Just stabbing its face repeatedly. To be honest, by that point, I kind of glazed over a little bit. I can't imagine why. (laughs) So I'm glad you remembered that, Jack. Yes. Um, You're just going to fill those cracks in with some fantasy spackle. Rune was defeated in battle during part of this raid, 
and they have a goodbye moment. And then he- I was in it for the loot. <laughs> then Ator and Sonya run off through the forest together to go live happily ever after? Question mark. Yeah, I mean, it's nice because they don't have to, like, move any of their belongings to a new house. But we all know the real hero of this story is Keog, the baby bear that follows them the entire journey. And I think very important role in this adventure. And I think he gets the most screen time out of any other actor. I wish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's about it for your summary. All right. Well, then I think it's time to head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Ator, the Fighting Eagle. Alright guys, I've got a question about this movie. Why is he called the Fighting Eagle? You know, I was wondering about that. There's not even like an eagle companion or anything. There's an eagle statue that cries blood when parts of the prophecy are being fulfilled. Yeah, I'm assuming they just had, like, an eagle statue on set somewhere, and they're like, oh, this will look cool. Like, from another movie. Maybe it means something else in Italian culture. Yeah, but this movie is called Ator the Invincible in the original... Oh, you're right. ...distribution. Well, this movie is Italian, like we said... And they're like, well, we're going to put it in America. What are we going to call it? I don't know. They like eagles. They're American. <laughs> Make it eagles and fighting. Their favorite thing. You know what? If they had just, like, superimposed some, like, red, white, and blue stars and stripes over a tour, I could have seen it. Yeah. He had a giant mullet. Yeah. <laughs> Classic American. Yes. All right. Well, I have another question for you guys. Yours is probably better than mine. So, I noticed that the story beats of this film, like the Chosen One prophecy birthmark that the baby has to be hidden from the villain that wants to kill him to thwart the prophecy, and like getting magical artifacts to gear up to fight against the villain to right this wrong, that or to take down a tyrant. Tale as old as time. So it's very similar to various Greek myths and biblical myths. And um, so like Oedipus, because of the like incest taboo thing, um, Perseus, that's very similar to his backstory. All of Ator's backstory is very similar to Perseus. Moses, similar reasons. Moses, right? Moses, Moses. Mm. And then um, Odysseus, because of all of the things that, like, thwart him from achieving his task along the way. <laughs> right, and all the women who want to sleep with him. Exactly. The power fantasy of it all. Yes, exactly. So, my question is, do you guys think they build upon these myths, like they're saying something new about them, or is it just kind of copy, paste, repeat? It was kind of a question I asked myself at the beginning of the movie. And so I was, like, kind of looking out to see if it, like, added anything to it throughout the film. Right. I think to a degree something 
it's trying to take from those myths is current throughout this film, but I'm not sure if it adds much that's unique. A similar theme to the Odyssey, in addition to all the women throwing themselves at this buff dude, right? Yeah. Is Ator normally turns these people down. That's true. When they make sexual advances on him or romantic advances, he's like, sorry, I've got a hot sister, brought wife. I've got a hot wife, <laughs> right? And they're like, what do you say? And he's like, uh, when, uh, I'm married. I'm taken. That's what he says. He, then it does show loyalty that is not part of like the traditional, at least the Greek myths. Except for when he sleeps with the illusionist. Yeah. But there's an excuse for that somewhat. Not that it completely dismisses the theme of loyalty that he has, but the witch showed him a vision of his sister wife <laughs> having betrayed him and hooking up with his worst enemy, Dakar. I guess he got over it real quick. I yeah, guess so. Uh, but turns out that was all an illusion. It seemed like he was sort of in the throes of despair. And that's sort of what made him go through with it. But he was real happy about it afterwards. Ah, <laughs> it was a rebound thing, I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, y you know, meet a nice booger along the way. Aww. <laughs> she was real gross, I'll tell you what. Well, I, one thing that this story adds that I think a lot of other myths, you know, leave out is spiders. Except, of course, for the myth of Spider-Man. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's the African... Um, Tradition of a Nazi. Yeah, a Nazi is more God. of a trickster, though. It's true. Not like a conqueror. Yeah. These people ruled, like we said in the intro, for a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, that's an organized empire to rule for a thousand years. They called this the Age of the Spider. Good age? Yeah, good age. But it's the ending of an era in the beginning of the next one. The right. era of the eagle of the semen wind of the, the fighting eagle of the sibling love i mean if you <laughs> ask me after watching this movie it should be the era of the bear the bearer as yes. it were yes you know one thing is that so there is one difference right a tor is toran's son who's kind of like a god who fought against the ancient one in the past and yeah. lost. And as he was dying, he nutted into the wind <laughs> to give birth, or I mean, to to uh, impregnate to, his, to the mother. To spread his uh, wild oats, to sow his wild oats. Sure. It's like when you get pooped on by a bird, how it's supposed <laughs> to be good luck. Yeah. But then, like, several gallons of nut hit you on the wind, and you're like, oh, jeez. Also, it's not good luck. Ator is born in, like, kind of dire circumstances where, well, I guess Griba could have been lying. Okay, but hold on. I'm getting to a point here. So, his father- Yeah, nutting into the wind always leads to interesting yeah. points. That is kind of similar to how Zeus impregnated human women in the Greek myths. Yep. But, um, The old golden shower approach. So, that would make Ator a demigod. Yes, definitely. And what is unique about this movie is that they made him very unremarkable for a demigod, except for that perfect hair. Yeah. So, so was this a choice, or was this just the 
let's say, iconically wooden performance of the character. Was it a choice not to give him superpowers? Or was it the actor not playing it up very well? It doesn't seem like it was built into the lore of the story that he had superpowers. No, I don't think he has superpowers. He doesn't seem to be a particularly... Well, you know what? He ha- guess he has the power of super attraction. Also luck. Yeah, and he's very lucky. He just kind of falls into everything that yeah. he needs. Mm-hmm. The right people show up. The right circumstances arise. He finds out, oh, you got to go get this shield. People literally just tell him what to do. He doesn't really have to figure out anything on his own. So he's got to be the laziest, stupidest hero out there. He doesn't have to work for anything. Hey, the real Star-Lord, am I right? (laughs) Assumedly, he's a good partner. He's good at loving. He's an attentive lover? Yeah. Maybe that's his power. I could see it. He resolves most of his conflicts without violence. I like that. Yeah. But then again, he stabbed the fuck out of the spider to death. The spider cannot be reasoned with. I don't know if I agree. He, he eats his own high priest. Yeah, but who hasn't done that once or twice? Maybe he loved Dakar and didn't like uh, Griba. Yeah, Griba was exiled from the church. Dakar was the high priest for years and, and didn't get eaten. Those tarantulas sure seem to like Dakar. It's true. Griba was some... Well, he wasn't a Johnny-come-lately. I guess he was more of a has-been. He was exiled years and years before. I don't remember if we found out why. I'm pretty sure they say it in the dialogue, but I don't remember what it was. We were probably talking over it because we like to make fun of the movies while we watch them. How dare you imply that we would ever make fun of these movies? (laughs) This is serious critique. Uh Uh-huh. I was exiled for trying to give the people voting rights. Wait a minute. Hold on. Griva? (laughs) Was Griva the good guy? Uh, It seems like he was worse than the bad guy. Yeah, Dakar had a lot of charisma, too. It's true. He he just wanted to secure his power. That was sort of what pushed him to villainy. Where uh, Griva, he's a schemer, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, He plotted. He schemed. He lied. That's not nice. At least Dakar was honest. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good point. I Okay, so Griba's whole reveal of the villain really strikes me as coming very much out of left field and was not very satisfying. How did you guys feel about it? I thought it was really dumb. It didn't make any sense for his character. There was no, like, filmic language to or anything in the dialogue to set up, like, oh, can he be trusted or not? It... it it didn't feel like any kind of a payoff. It wasn't something you could follow along with as a viewer. No, it was definitely just a pinpoint on a list of things they wanted to put in the movie. Something the writer was Bear, like... question mark. Yeah. Hey, this could be cool if Griba was the villain the whole time. And then they were like, well, we didn't put it in the film. We might as well just put... It in there. Can, yeah. Can our writers, cre- like, are they good enough to put that in there? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's in. But it was his plan all along. That was pretty much the explanation. Yep. He was evil because he was evil. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those um, 
Harry Potter verse things where the Slytherins are all evil and they're going to turn mostly and they're going to turn out evil no matter what. It's like <laughs> if you're in the spider cult, oh, you're evil like no matter what. That's discrimination that is. Yeah. Typecasting spider cults, I don't care for it. It doesn't make you feel like you can connect to the characters or the story as easily because it makes them feel really flat and wooden like one-dimensional there's not a lot of complexity there to really sink your teeth into it's true and speaking of the spider cult right saying how they're all evil it was interesting to see some of the differences between the way the spider cult lived and the way the rest of the people lived right yeah this was a very ancient world the setting right very surprising for a barbarian film and they establish it as an ancient world in the prophecy. They say that the spider cult was from an ancient time and it ruled for a thousand years. But... Just the way it was back then. Like ancient times, a lot of the cities were still just like towns with huts. When we see Ator's village, it's very much a village. They have wooden straw buildings. Yep. They're still foraging and hunting for a lot of their food. And when we see the spider cult, they are in stone structures. But yeah. ruins, mostly, it seems like. Oh, so you think they have just taken over what came before and are stagnating? I think that what the you could imply from that visual cue is that while the spider cult has been in power for a thousand years, it is on its way out. And therefore, the these hubs of power that existed where the spiders were worshipped and everything, have really lost a lot of their luster, their social influence. The people of, like, say, for example, Ator's village don't seem to have any appreciation for the spider cults. There's not, like, they don't go to a spider cult town that's a thriving metropolis. The spider cult is kind of on the periphery. Yeah, I think they're in a state of decay. And, exactly. Um, they also don't seem very organized. No, they're just kind of clinging to these last vestiges, like the final days of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Like something yeah. else is sweeping in and taking over. But they're yeah. still like, but we've got the reins of power. We still make the rules. But honestly, most people in the countryside don't even, you know, they only go to Spider Church on Sundays, <laughs> if even that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe once a month. Right. And all day they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, praise the ancient one. All right, okay, I'm going over here now. <laughs> it's kind of sad, really. They pay lip service to their tithes to the ancient one. Yeah. Yeah, they, they sing their psalms sometimes, like, the itsy-bitsy spider went up the, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I that holy to, song. I have to read it on the clay tablets. I, I, I don't memorize these things. Right. It's like whenever I see my dad at a Catholic mass and I am like shocked every time to remember that he knows all the things you got to say by heart. Yeah. <laughs> Prayers, I believe they're called. Yeah. I think it was like drilled into him from a young age. Yeah. I mean, Catholics, you will do that. Lots of repetition. Yeah. But, you know, the people of this world don't even have that unless they're active members of the spider cult. Then they're super dedicated. But everyone else is kind of just meh, whatever. Obviously, unless you're some sort of fool, 
You would put it in the film that they would have to say the spider chant eight times. Yes, of course. Right. The sacred number. Yes, but we didn't get that, unfortunately. Yes, it's the sacred octilogy. Yes. The father, the son, the other son, the other son, the other, other, other son, and so on and so on. <laughs> Shelob. Yeah. Yeah. The holy spider ghost. Do you think Shelob is the ancient one or is an offspring of the ancient one? Ooh, great question. If they tried to slip this film into the Tolkien lore, that would be some sussy behavior. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) Wow. But um, tell me the truth. Do you think that Ator probably has other siblings? Because... That god seed in the wind, it's got to have hit other fem- or other human women, right? Oh, yeah. This is just, like, they make it out like, oh, Ator is, like, the prophesied one and everything. No, there's, like, 30 other kids out there with the same birthmark. Torin is always just, well, I guess he's dead, but, you know, his spirit is, like, oh, yeah, my uh, my kid is coming over for... Uh, Sunday dinner, I better um, (laughs) figure out which one to send the prophecy to or whatever. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just grew up in cultures where the spider cult doesn't have in its grasp of power. Right. And so their culture doesn't have this story of the prophecy. Yeah. So they just think it looks like some weird dick on the kid's shoulder. Oh, it was an eagle, right? That's why he's the fighting eagle. Yeah, okay. Maybe Torin was an eagle. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. That'd make a lot more sense why it netted on the wind. It, all the pieces <laughs> are falling together. It's not like Venom where there's a turd on the wind. No, you know, that's a very common thing to have is a turd rolling in the wind. Yeah. You see that every day. That line meant so much to all of us. It did. Thanks. It really spoke to us. Thanks, San Francisco. <laughs> But Venom is not a spider. He just hates Spider-Man. But spiders do have Venom sometimes, right? Yes, they do have Venom. (laughs) (laughs) If Jack said it, I'm going to just nod my head in agreement. If they bite you, it's Venom. If you bite them and die, it's poison. (laughs) Right. Nice. Well, so I want to talk about the symbolism of the spider and why the spider is significant in the world of the film. Well, then you're welcome for that segue. (laughs) Thanks, Chelsea. Can you repeat your question? Because I was only thinking about my comeback. (laughs) I wasn't listening. What happened? So what is the significance of the spider as a symbol for the antagonist of this film? Oh, well, um... In Western culture, it's kind of seen as a being to fear the spider and something to be hated. And it often represents something villainous for Westerners. You know when you're just chilling in your living room and a building-sized spider looks in through your front window and you're like, fuck! Of course I do. I do have bad, or, you know, dreams about that sometimes. (laughs) Well, I think it's also tied to the fact that 
the average person eats like five quadradecillion spiders a year while they sleep. It's true. That sounds like an accurate number. Just uh, like a damn flood of spiders into your gullet when you're sleeping. It's every night as many spiders as will fit in your mouth you will eat. Yes, every night a fissure cracks in the earth, and under the crust, it's just liquid spider. <laughs> and they pour up into your mouth, and this, it seals off by morning. This sounds like science to me. I think in Western culture, spiders don't hold the same like evil prominence as snakes do. Right. Because of the um, you know, Christian tradition and influence. Why did they turn all those sticks into snakes, though? You mean in the Moses? Yeah, story? yeah. Not in this movie. They would <laughs> if in this movie they would have turned twigs into spiders, I guess. Yeah. Sussy Moses turning snakes into sticks. Wait a minute. That's not right. <laughs> I I lost track of where <laughs> we were comparing spiders. We we're like spiders are pretty bad. Not as bad as snakes, though. Right. right. Culturally. Not, yeah. that's not us saying that spiders or snakes are bad. They're both venomous. They both bite you. One has too many legs. One doesn't have any legs. You know, this is the real problem. These are just animals that have boundaries. Yeah. And people don't like it, I guess, when you set boundaries like, hey, don't get in my way or I'll bite you and you'll die. That's a boundary. But then we use the symbolism from those animals to mean so many different things. Like, the spider's web is an important symbol in Western culture and probably others as well. Also an important symbol in this movie. Yeah. It symbolizes a trap and death. <laughs> but only for people who worship the spider cult. That's Not for Sonya, who again, can simply be untied from the spider's web, unlike Griba, who sticks to it. She was fucking tied up there the whole goddamn time Ator was gallivanting off with all these other women. And she's sitting there screaming when he walks up. But the Ancient One's just chilling back there in the cave. Yeah. Ancient One's just behind the scenes, just hanging out. Like, mm, I could eat, but am I really hungry? They just ate a cow a few days ago. That'll do it. That'll fill you up. Mm-hmm. It's true. Predatory animals? Just cancel them. What are yeah. they killing? Yeah, come on. Arrest predatory animals. Put them in jail. <laughs> so speaking of all these women that are trying to bone a tour. Let's not. I think that this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> this is you know i didn't think of that until you said something but this is a definite male power fantasy here yes uh where every woman that a tour comes across is attracted to him on one level or another and if they act like they're not they're just acting and deep down they really want him again it's a magic power even as an infant as a gigantic like two-year-old sized infant his adoptive mother is just like 
<laughs> oh, this baby needs to suckle? We'll just slap him on the other titty and let's get to work. And she also, like, used her own baby to prop him up, so he was, like, crushing her baby. <laughs> this fucking she, beefy baby. She's like, why do I need this stupid child that I just birthed when, when I, I got this Ator? Yeah. <laughs> this beefcake. This cake. newborn is, like, the size of a two-year-old. Honey, I noticed you got a new beef child. <laughs> what is This is our son, Ator. Oh, very good. It's true. Uh literally every woman he comes across is attracted to him. It's that hair. The fact that he's able to secure an entire supply of Aquanet in the village that he lives in makes him a real prize. How dare you? He wakes up with his hair like that, Jamie. That's w- part of his powers. That's one of his few powers. He wakes up every That's day, fair. hair perfect, next to his sister, smell of <laughs> Folger's dark roast coffee. <laughs> I think the look on Jamie's face, he knew you were going there. <laughs> every morning. I'm canceling the episode. <laughs> this episode is canceled. It's not our fault the movie did this to us. I just want to make it very clear. I hope that we're not making light of incest as a topic. The film uses it in the most inappropriate way. Well, also offhand, we're giving it as much care as the movie did. Sure. It wasn't incest. Trigger warning. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear, Ator grew up in this culture that he's a part of. Okay. He asks Sonya, please remind me why you and I cannot get married. He should fucking know. He he is ostensibly a between 20 and 30 year old man. So there, that speaks to a taboo they have in their culture. <laughs> exactly. He is not a newcomer. He was raised from infancy yeah. in this village. His sister says, we can't marry because we're brother and sister. And Ator just goes, I'll go talk to father about this. <laughs> it is the most buck wild fucking He's such a fucking explanation. Chad. It's. I'd call him a himbo, but that's like an <laughs> affectionate term. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of cultures have social taboos, and there are a lot of uh, cultures that have incest taboos. I mean, biologically speaking, it prevents uh, people from intermarrying and having offspring that could have like diseases or disorders, and more a higher likelihood of it. Culturally speaking, um, it usually has to do with certain stories that would prohibit the behavior. Right. I mean, marriages are often, you know, in traditional societies are bonding ceremonies that unite uh, families. Between various Be- villages, yeah, usually. Yeah, possibly between villages. Which is or- how people get around the incest taboos. It's like, you don't have to worry about it because we know we're not related to those people. Right. <laughs> And it's also a way to, like, consolidate power in some regards. And, right. Uh, or wealth. Wealth right. and power. Mm-hmm. Ator doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. But he doesn't know why. <laughs> and that just boggles my mind. I told you he's lazy and stupid. Everybody does everything for him all the time. 
He's a white male. It's privilege, Jamie. You're right. He is a white male. It could have been a smug rhetorical question. Oh. Like, uh, sister, why can't we marry? Well, we're related. Oh, I'll have to talk to father about this. I'm very intelligent. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, whether he's dumb, whether he's smug, the wedding was beautiful. There were those dancers that were, it's not incest, just adopted. Uh, special dance. They don't have to do that dance every day, let me tell you. Only about two or three times a year. <laughs> <laughs> they did a really good job. It was a pretty hype dance. <laughs> Jimmy's dying over there. <laughs> I'm just imagining our listenership plummeting with every second. <laughs> yeah. It's it's skyrocketing, Jamie. <laughs> we, we started with kittens, and it was great. Yeah. And now we're here. And there's a kitten right there. Kitten, cover your ears. Soldier's incest warning. <laughs> so before we dig ourselves too deep into this hole, I'd like to talk about something else <laughs> that plays an integral role in this, and I would say every movie. Keog. <laughs> Trying to make it work. <laughs> Keog the bear, no. It is class struggle. Oh, shit. It's about to go down. So, a tour lives in a small village that probably has some amount of commerce that takes place, but seems like it's mostly a trade-based society where people come together for communal activities like nuptials and the like. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have the character of Rune, who comes from a interesting matriarchal, presumably, I would say matrilineal, but it's... A culture with seemingly no men within the actual populace. And then they just find a man once in a while to give birth to what they are very confident will be a powerful woman. How do they do they have some technique that is unknown to anyone else to make sure you conceive of a female offspring? I mean, magic. Oh, right. Come on. There are magical artifacts in this setting, so there must be other forms of magic. There's prophecies, magical artifacts, all the important stuff. You can just make that do what you want when uh, pregnant in this setting, I'm sure. I think Dakar uses his magic for prestidigitation. Oh, yeah? Why is that? He he makes himself look so pretty. Ooh, that's true. It's so much easier just to use a spell. The uh, the eyeshadow is on point, yeah. for sure. You don't have to spend hours doing your makeup. You just do this, perform the spell, and you're good to go. Yeah. But so here's the thing. Rune society, these Amazon, let's say, warrior women, are a highly capitalist society, it seems like. They're very much interested in wealth. That is Rune's primary motivation. Right. It is very hard to tell if she's attracted to a tour or... Or just opportunistically wanting to use his 
status as a coveted male in her society to elevate her own station. And then after that, she's just like, oh, well, you can bring me a bunch of money. Cool. That's really all I need. Take me on that adventure. I'll steal all the gold. You go do your dumb shit prophecy for stupid village people. Me, on the other hand, I'm going to grab all this gold and go back to my sisterhood and be like the most revered warrior because I've got the most gold. Yeah, that could be it. I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B. She admits kind of when she's dying that she had a thing for a tour, just like everybody else. But Ator was only important to her society because they believed that he would produce a strong female heir. True. The next leader of exactly. their group. Mm-hmm. It was all about status. It was all about class. That's true. And they were willing to use their power and skills and force that upon somebody else like those in power often do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was pretty funny when... Um, Ator went back with Rune, though, and, like, they're drinking wine, and he's talking, she's asking him, like, why he won't sleep with her, and he's, like, sending clearly mixed messages, because he's le- lounging back, spread eagle, like, I can't- Oh, I he's loincloth spreading, for sure. <laughs> he's like, uh, I'm married, I can't, I can't be with you, and he's just, like, spreading out. Yeah, I think this guy is just an oblivious oaf who- Yeah. I hate to say it, but he he just kind of, I I think Chelsea really hit the nail on the head. He is so privileged that he doesn't even have to lift a finger. He is the affluenza of fantasy characters. But But he comes from this egalitarian society. Maybe that's it. Actually, maybe that's it. Maybe it's because the society he comes from is such a communal utopia. Mm hmm. That they can just go ahead and support and feed and clothe and raise somebody who literally contributes nothing to society. <laughs> um, it I seems, mean, what a paradise. It seems like violence isn't the norm either. Like, there are people in the village that fight back against the spider cult's uh, soldiers when they raid the village. But Ator, uh, and he does fight back with them, but when he's going head-to-head with Griba when he's training later, and Griba, like, trips him, Ator looks so incensed. It is crazy that Ator has not even considered the possibility that in a fight, one might, say, deceive their opponent for an advantage. Yeah. Ator looks hurt, emotionally damaged by Griba fainting. I know. He's like, you've been taught how to fight. I am here to show you how to win. I was also very confused, though, because in the fight between Ator's village and the spider cult, it seemed like the villagers were kicking ass. I know. And then suddenly we cut to the end of the battle and all the villagers are dead and the spider cult is, like, fleeing with Sonya. Yeah. I'm just like, how did you guys lose? They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) They were really competent fighters. It's really unclear, and I'll tell you, I it might have shown what happened, but I was not paying attention because I was watching Keog the whole time. They kept having him in the foreground of each shot. They really wanted to get their money's worth out of that bear. And, um... 
It's really fair. He's a really cute bear. Oh, God, that bear is adorable. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing that we can say about this film is that the real star of the show was Keog all along. I mean, give us Keog too. Yes. Or the Keog spinoff. I am down for that. So that's our rewriting history for next month's Patreon. I'm down. Keog, the later years. This is happening. The legendary adventures of Keog. All right, guys. Well, I don't think there's anything left that we could possibly say about this movie other than what we thought of it. So it's probably time to head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, would you like to tell us your epic moment or feature, and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 broken mirrored shields? I'm gonna have to say my epic feature has gotta be the blind smiths that work in the Spider Colts forges. I was considering this one myself. Yes. Nice. There are uh, a few dozen smiths that work in the forges for the spider cult, all of them blind. And a Torin rune have to prepare to sneak past them by really grinding some leaves onto their skin. I mean, <laughs> oh. Ad- Ator just ruins his body. <laughs> that was poison oak, Ator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm invisible now. <laughs> No, you're just itchy. Yeah, the blind smiths. I don't know the difference. The blind smiths can smell the difference, and they're like, "Fuck that!" (laughs) No, I'm not getting near that. Well, uh, they do. Who was waking and baking, guys? None of them were talking. That was really weird. Yeah, they're all blind, and they're also all silent. I'm guessing that blind blacksmiths would be incredibly noisy insofar as they'd be constantly communicating with one another so as not to injure themselves at work. I thought they were really neat and fun. Those made for some cool stealth scenes. And if I were gonna have to give this movie a rating, and oh boy. You do. Oh boy, I'm forced to. (laughs) (laughs) My patrons, they're, they're threatening, they're sending me threatening messages. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna have to give this movie a five out of ten mirror shields. Wow. Yes. And let me explain to you exactly why. Please do. It's kind of generic. I don't think a lot of thought went into this movie when it came to themes and why spiders. I think spiders were the reason was spider bad and. I think somebody just had a line on some sweet tarantulas. Exactly. And I think somebody just wanted to see a hot guy with uh, being chased by a bunch of women. They put a cute bear in it, which was hype. But there were so many scenes that were meaningless, sort of like the undead forest. How about the fight against the shadow? The fight. That was fun. I actually liked that. That was actually kind of I thought that cool. was cool and budget. But, uh... I will have to say, it's a special five. It's a five with a little gold star next to it. Oh, very nice. Because this is the third time I think I've seen this movie, 
And I'm happy that I've seen it three times. There you go. So even though it's generic, I still enjoy it. And I like seeing it. I'll probably watch it again. It's worth watching. It's fun. It's a movie you can talk over. (laughs) Well, I mean, and what more do you want from a film? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's my rating. Very nice. Nice. For some reason, Jack, your rating has warmed my heart. Yeah. I think I'm going to give this movie a higher rating just because of your nice words that you just said. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I've been there. I've been there. But first, Chelsea, how about you? Do you have a epic moment or feature and then a rating from 1 to 10 mirrored shields? I do. And it has to do with some of the criticisms Jack made about the movie were what I thought made it the best thing. Okay. Nice. And it's not really a criticism. You were basically like, this is all the movie's about. And that's why it was, that's why what made it fun. So nice. here, here we go. It's <laughs> Dakar with his spiders and Keog. I'm kind of cheating and I'm getting two in there. Oh, two epic features. Yeah. The but old double epic feature. I'll tell you why. Because that. The whole movie, to me, would have been so much better if it was just them going toe-to-toe. And it was Keog fighting it back against the Spider King. Oh, but what if it was a team-up? Spider and Bear finally united. Against the Hawk. Spy-Bear. Against that damn eagle. Yeah. That would have been great. But Dakar was amazing. Uh, he was so great in that role. He looked so awesome with that makeup and costume. Uh, what a legend. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you're the pro wrestler. I mean, I there's really not a combination of things that could make me like a person more. And he was like holding those spiders, being really gentle with them. He seemed to really enjoy that. He had just the most radiant smile. Oh, he really did. He was a really joyful villain. I, I think he's the kind of guy you'd like to hang out with. Yeah, I feel, I, I mean, I know nothing about the actor, but he, just the look on his whole personage makes me believe even more my theory that the best villains are played by the nicest people. I think it holds up in general. And Keog, like we said, he steals the show, and I'd watch a whole movie about those t- those two and the spiders. Very nice. <laughs> so maybe we'll create that ourselves. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm going to mirror Jack and give it 5 out of 10 broken mirror shields. <laughs> That was pretty big brain right there. <laughs> um, yeah, Tell us I mean, why. It's like a fair rating, you know, right down the middle. Yeah, I've also seen this like three times. And it was fun to joke about it as we watched. And it, it's been fun talking about it together. And that made it much more enjoyable for me. Yeah, I don't think it adds anything to the myths like we were talking about. So, yeah, I mean, some of the acting was just atrocious. And, uh, but Dakar definitely, and, and Keog steal the show. So they, they save it a little bit for sure. And I mean, watching it with you guys and talking about it together is a 10 out of 10 always. So my heart. Yay. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature of the film and your rating out of 1 to 10 Broken Mirror Shields? Yes, Jamie, tell us, please. Well, I'm glad you guys asked. Please, Jamie. (laughs) Please. Please end this. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my epic moment occurs in the brothel scene. So there's a scene where Ator and his crew are in a brothel, spending a little bit of their hard-stolen money. I forgot about that. Hanging out. Rune has this whole plot about uh, how to steal money from the madam or from one of the the Johns that are in there. Yes, but here's the thing. Yeah, it's it's a scheme. I would say it's a scheme. A little conniving. Okay. A little legitimate. I think you're being generous, but let's hear it. But here's the thing. That's just the set piece for my epic moment. And that is when they are sitting down to their meal and the uh, the serving person brings them a platter of food and Keog climbs from the bench onto the table and starts eating out of the meal with them. And then they're all just sharing this food with Keog. It's great. No, nobody can compete with Keog. Exactly. Why didn't I make my epic moment? Keog, such an idiot. Oh. <laughs> I took it. There's just like, just it's it's just a shot. It's just a shot of Keog eating out of this big dish. And then Rune and Ator just sharing right out of the same bowl. And it's great. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And I love it. As far as my rating goes, I'm going to give this movie... One shield for ruining my podcast and making it the last episode we're ever going to get to do because it was all about incest. No. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't about incest, but it was. Trigger warning. (laughs) So I am going to give this movie four out of ten broken mirror shields. Ooh. And here's the reason why. It is a bog standard fantasy movie that is, I would say, unfortunately, probably due to some kind of budget constraints, just a little bit more boring than a lot of other fantasy films. It just doesn't grab you for any extended amount of time. There's a few interesting set pieces that they go to and have some interesting encounters. The fight against the shadow, if they had just taken a few more cuts... Probably could have, or I'm sorry, a few more shots, a few more takes. They probably could have had a pretty competent shadow fight, but instead, right. a lot of times, it's just like as wooden as the sword fights. Well, whoever was playing the shadow he was fighting while he was acting it, there was actually somebody... Andy Circus, amazing, right? <laughs> yes. It was, he was like two when this movie came out. I... It was obviously not done after the fact. It was obviously somebody creating a shadow puppet out of their body. Oh, 100%. Fighting him while he was in the fight. This was live shadow. Whoever was doing it got too close to the light source, so their shadow got huge on the wall. That just made it more intimidating. But it was like he was still fighting it, and it made it harder for him to try to connect it, it it was bad. Yeah, I, it just the movie feels very rushed. Yeah. It leaves too many gaps in what could have been an interesting take on classic heroes journeys and epic quests. But we can't cut anything with Keog, so. Well, no. But that's the problem, right? Because there's all of these shots that's just Keog running. <laughs> For a long time, and they're like, people are going to love that bear. It's like, yeah, but like maybe have the bear interact with the 
plot in an interesting way or have a reason to be there? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't get it. It digs Rune out of the tunnel. You know what? You're right. I stand corrected. 10 out of 10. Perfect film. (laughs) No. The reason that I'm really (laughs) dropping this film a point is the bizarre and uncomfortable and unnecessary incest, not incest subplot between Ator and his sister. Nobody along the way just said, you know what? No, it could just be any person that he's in love with. His childhood sweetheart. And everyone will be like, aww, that would be cute. Right. But no. Why did they do this? So weird. Why did they ruin our show by making us talk about that subplot that didn't need to exist? Maybe the writer or director had some kind of thing. I don't want to cast aspersions, but... Let it be known (laughs) that incest was the theme it took to give this movie the same rating that Jamie gave Monster Hunter. Let it be known. (laughs) A movie without incest. I just want that to be clear. I'm so I'm, uncomfortable because I don't know how much joking about incest is okay. We're not joking about the, the trauma of it. This is consensual, is what you're saying. We're, we're making fun of this movie and its shitty use of it, okay? That's what we're well, making fun Yes, I, I understand, but it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't think it utilized incest in a tasteful way. I'm going to say Yeah, this movie has made me more uncomfortable than I would like to be while watching a film. That's fair. But it is otherwise an inoffensive film. The problem is the offensive part really bugs me. I beg to differ. <laughs> okay, well, not in What about all that fucking male power fantasy? Every female wants him. I mean, I can cut it down to a three Bullshit. out of ten. <laughs> At a three out of ten, it is still with n- lack of feminist iconography and incest above Merlin the Return. And above Christmas Train. Jack, have you been researching our past ratings or did you just remember this? Uh, I just remember the things that hurt me. This is how his brain works. You know what? I'm going down to four. After talking <laughs> yeah, you, about all this You just together. talk yourself down. Yeah. I'm staying at five and a gold star. I think it's special. <laughs> this is a special movie. <laughs> Get it with those. <laughs> There's a special place in hell for people who podcast about this movie, too. I guess so, but we were there long ago. Fair. Well, that's our thoughts, but, you know, hit us up on social media and tell us what you thought. Give us your hot takes. Yeah, because you, if you're a fan of the show and you enjoyed this episode, can follow us on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You know what? That's so true. And people could go to patreon.com slash swords and satire. We hope you will. If they want to support the show. If they have the means, there are different tiers that you could opt into. And there's exclusive art that we create for each tier. And you get to vote on the movies we watch every month. But if you can't go on to support your very favorite podcasters in the whole wide world, well... You could 
tell your friends and your family about Swords and Satire so you can all listen to our episodes and look for movies that you can all watch together and sound very knowledgeable while watching them. And this is a movie you can easily talk over. (laughs) Just don't watch this movie with your family. No. Good thing we didn't. Yeah. Oh, hey, and guys, guess what? Big surprise. We have a website now. That's true. We put a lot of work into that, and it's it's simple, but it's cute, and we are proud of it. Much like us, it's simple, but effective. Right. <laughs> Look at it. See it. Cures what ails you. You can just go to swordsandsatire.com and learn a little bit more about us, your favorite satirists. That's right. It's your quest. But until next time, Hail Crom! Crom.